All right. Well, we are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. We are still in John chapter 6, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up there. John chapter 6. Last time we left off with verse 30 of John chapter 6, where it says, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And we discussed last time the fact that these people that were seeking Jesus were seeking him for their personal satisfaction. And I put a challenge out to all of us to ask uh, a question of our own hearts. To ask ourselves if we are seeking Jesus for our personal satisfaction, or are we willing to take up the cross and follow after him with all of our hearts? Now, it's not that we can't take all of our needs to Jesus, because he does care about every detail of our lives, but the question that I'm posing is a question regarding the foundation of your heart. If life as you know it falls apart in some way, shape, or form, Will you still be standing on Jesus? Or is Jesus just mixed in with a lot of other things in your life? Are we willing to count everything else as rubbish that we may grow in the knowledge of Christ? That is what is called being absolutely surrendered, totally sold out to Jesus. There's no doubt that this is where the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to trusting in Him with our hearts and not leaning on our own understanding. This is very plainly seen throughout all of the Scriptures. To to not walk by faith and to lean on our own understanding is to create our own God, a God of our thoughts or a God of our desires. We cannot seek both God and our own personal satisfaction. He is not the God of our personal satisfaction. Our thoughts are not His thoughts. Our ways are not His ways. His ways are much higher than ours, it says in Isaiah 55. And we also studied in Isaiah chapter 40 last time about just how big our God really is. And we err greatly when we bring God down to a level where He is the God of our lifestyle. A God that is a God of our culture. We read last week how God sits high above this earth and the nations are a drop in a bucket to him. The inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers, it says in Isaiah 40. But the multitude that was seeking after Jesus here in John chapter 6, they had the wrong motives. They wanted more of what Jesus had to offer as long as it made them healthy and wealthy. So when they came to him, and found him, they wanted to see more signs and wonders. And these people go on to say to him there in verse 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Wow, so these people, man, they're really trying to get their desires met here. And they're quoting scriptures to Jesus. What they just quoted there can be found in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, and in Psalm 78, 24. But you know, it's pretty convenient, though, how they can quote Scripture when they are trying to get their way. The loaves and the fish they ate yesterday have now worn off. Their bellies aren't full anymore, so they need another miracle 
from their personal chef. Now, we never get that way, do we? We would never think of seeking Jesus for our own personal gain, would we? Well, unfortunately, we can and we do get that way from time to time. But I believe that God puts these stories in his word to refocus us. There's a lot we can learn in what we're going to study today. You see, these people had either already forgotten the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish, or they were simply seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. And I believe that it comes down to those same two things for you and me. We have either fashioned Jesus to be a God that suits our fancy, or we've forgotten the real reason for which he came and the work he does in our hearts. We must be careful to always remember the cross. That's the place where Jesus hung, bled, and died for the punishment of our sins. Do we fully understand what it cost him? What it cost the Father? It says in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, God doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. The price has been paid and our sins have been washed away. And Galatians 2.20 says it should be no longer us that lives, but rather Christ that lives in us. And the life that we now live in this flesh is a life of faith. We walk by faith. You see, even when we study the Word of God, we should not be trying to make it applicable to our lives. We should be applying our lives to it. Now, that may sound like a twist on words, but there is a difference. Christianity is not about making Jesus part of our lives. True Christianity is dying to ourselves, taking up the cross and following after him, humbling ourselves, considering others as better than ourselves. In many ways, Christianity has gotten all out of whack. It's now become about health and wealth. We want our bellies and our bank accounts filled. Faith today is not about enduring trials and tribulations as it was for the saints of old, but rather having private jets and living in mansions. And you know, I'm not just talking about certain churches or things you see on TV. I'm asking you and me to questions our, to question ourselves as to if we have fashioned God to be a certain way, is he truly the God of the Bible to us? Or is he the God of America? The God of our economy? The God of our culture? The reason I'm posing these questions to you is not to get you to think that you are a bad Christian, but rather to challenge you to search your heart and know what your faith is really all about. You see, God loves us. God knows what is best for us. God sees our hearts. He did not send his son into the world to condemn us. He sent in his son into the world to save us. And these questions I'm posing here today are simply for the purpose of adjusting our perspective. We must periodically check our hearts. And to show you this fact scripturally, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's right after 1 Corinthians and just before the book of Galatians. 
and Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, and let's look down at verse 5. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Now, when this was written by Paul the Apostle, he was being questioned by some of the Corinthians as to whether he was truly qualified in Christ. But as you and I read this today, it's a good question for us too. Do you know that Christ is in you? Do you understand this treasure we have in this body, these earthen vessels? Do you realize that faith is simply about Christ being in you? That's the, the foundation of everything. Christ in us, our hope of glory, Colossians 1.27 tells us. It's a great mystery, but it's a great mystery that has been revealed. And it really is that simple. We don't need to work to make God fit into our lifestyles. It's not going to happen. We need to quit working, give up, fall into the arms of our God and our Savior and allow Him to breathe His life on us. The life of His Holy Spirit, that abundant life, that living water, that bread of life dwelling within us, Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. The first book in your Bible is the book of Genesis. Go ahead and turn back there and turn to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 7. Actually, I'm just going to read one verse, verse 7. So Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, the thing that makes us living souls is the breath of God. But you know, not long after this, sin entered the picture. Disobedience came on to the scene, and the soul of man died. Man was separated from fellowship with God at that point because of sin. Years and years later, Jesus came. He shed his blood. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He conquered both sin and death. And as a result of that, we can have eternal life through faith in him. Now, keeping all that in mind, I want you to turn back to the Gospel of John, but turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. What we're seeing here in John chapter 20 is that Jesus had been crucified, dead and buried. The disciples are scared and they're hiding. Uh, they're in hiding in a little room. And, they're, and uh, we're looking down now at verse uh, 19. So John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, then that same day at evening, when the first, be, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, 
Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So, in Genesis chapter 2, the breath of God was breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul. Sin entered the picture, and man became dead. Dead in his soul. Dead in his spiritually dead. But now... Jesus, as God on the flesh, has come to the earth and once again breathed the life back into the soul of man. And this life, however, comes from where? It comes from the Holy Spirit being within us. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So you see, true Christianity is found in the simplicity of knowing Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit within us that gives us abundant life. We are to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. In other words, because of the work of Christ on the cross and the new life that the Holy Spirit gives us, we should be dead to us and dead to this world and alive to Jesus Christ. That's what you call being born again. Remember we studied that in John chapter 3? How we need to be born of the Spirit? You see, faith is in Jesus. It's, it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. Okay? And turning back now to John chapter 6. These people were seeking Jesus for what they thought was the sustenance of life. They were asking him for bread, and they're telling him about how God provided manna for their fathers. These people were simply following Jesus to get their bellies filled again. But Jesus didn't come to be that kind of food. He came to feed our spirits, not our flesh. And when we examine our faith, we should find that we are seeking our Lord for that which is spiritual, and eternal, not for that which is temporal. So after they asked him for a sign and brought up the subject of the manna, Jesus goes on to say to them in verse 32, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus points out to them that, first of all, it wasn't Moses that gave them the manna. It was God. But more importantly, right in front of them was the true bread from heaven. Oftentimes we seek God to be our provider when he wants us to first realize that he is the lover of our soul. He wants us content with things like joy, peace, love, 
and all the fruits of the Spirit. What is more important, the inside or the out? You know, that may seem like a, a very uh, simple answer. The inside's more important. But how are you living your life? How is the rest of this world living their lives? As if the inside is important or the out is important. They say image is everything. But you know what? These bodies won't last. They're not going to last forever. We've got new bodies coming someday. But we don't have them now. 1 Corinthians 15.50 tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And you know, if we gain the whole world but miss the work that God wants to do in us, then have we really gained anything? No, we haven't. Because this life is temporal. And it's not about this life, it's about eternity. Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So you see, that's a whole different kind of bread right there. This is a bread that gives life to the world. Jesus is not talking about the physical realm here. And they go on to say to him in verse 34, Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Wow. You know, you know what that reminds me of? Do you remember in John chapter 4, we studied where the woman at the well said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. When she said that, she was looking to the physical and not the spiritual, the temporal and not the eternal. That's exactly what these people were looking for. Yesterday's food has long been digested and they want it more. When we seek after the temporal things of this world, we will never be satisfied. We need that spiritual bread that feeds us internally on a daily basis. We must be spiritually minded people, walking by faith and not by sight. And Jesus goes on in verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, this is a spiritual satisfaction that's being spoken of here by Jesus. To never hunger and to never thirst is an internal result of Christ in us. Casting all of our care on Him, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, realizing that our spiritual hunger and thirst has been satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone. Do we desire the fruits of the Holy Spirit more than we desire financial freedom? Do we desire the fruits of the Holy Spirit more than we desire a, a new car, new furniture, new whatever? There is so much peace, so much joy, all wrapped up in just placing your faith in and trusting in Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew the hearts of these people. He knew what they were seeking him for. He knew that they didn't believe in him. He goes on to say in verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is pointing it out here that the will of the Father is that people would come to Jesus. Everything about this world we now live in is temporary. We are to be strangers and pilgrims here, just passing through, looking unto Jesus and pointing others to Jesus. And Jesus will not cast out anyone that comes to him. And when this world as we know it ceases to exist, the end result is that we will be forever with the Lord. Salvation and eternal life is the will of God for all of mankind. If they will just repent and receive it by faith. And if you and I as Christians here on this earth were to be completely Jesus-focused, spirit-filled believers, we would see a revival like never before. People should look at us and see Christ in us. But if they look at us and see us striving for the same things they are, then they will conclude that we are as miserable as they are and nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And these scriptures that we are studying here should be refocusing us on the things that are spiritual and the things that are eternal. We can't harden our hearts to what we are seeing here. The Jews that heard Jesus speak did not open their hearts to what Jesus was saying to them. And verses 41 and 42 say, The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? So here again, they're looking at the physical. They're saying, we know this guy. We know his parents. We know the streets he played on as a boy. Who does he think he is? Well, these people only wanted what Jesus had to offer them physically. They weren't judging him when he was feeding their physical hunger, but now that he's talking to them spiritually, they don't think he's qualified. and They don't want to hear it. And that happens a lot today, too. We tend to shut our ears when things get a little bit deep and they start cutting into us. Verse 43 says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So Jesus basically says to them here, Hey, you don't need to murmur. No need to grumble and complain. If you're not drawn to me, then the Father is not drawing you. You see, Jesus doesn't force himself on people. There are people all over the place that just don't want to hear it. You try and tell them about Jesus, but they push you away. They say, ah, oh, that's, that's okay for you, but that's not for me. But you know, 
We are called to tell them about Jesus, but it will be the work of God in their hearts that will truly lead them to that place of repentance. You cannot get inside of people and change their hearts. I was once extremely hardened and completely calloused to hearing anything about God. But God knew His timing for my life, and God knows His timing for everyone's life. He desires that all would come to know Him, but He does not force Himself on anyone. But Jesus came from God, and He was going to stay focused on the reason for which He was sent. And He is going to go right back to the topic at hand, and He says to them in verse 46, Not that anyone has seen the Father, Except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So Jesus is staying the course here. He's going right back to the topic at hand. He is speaking to them about the spiritual, the internal, and not the external. They, however, can't get past the physical. So he says to them in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. So he says, hey guys, I'm not talking about physical bread. They ate the bread in the wilderness and it didn't give them eternal life. Eternal life comes from me. And eternal life is an internal thing. And Jesus says to them in verses 50 and 51, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And this is the only place that you and I can find eternal life. Jesus, the living bread. He came down from heaven and gave his life for the world. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. These people just didn't get it. And as we read on in this chapter, we'll see that many will turn away and leave him. He was cool when he was feeding their physical hunger, but now he's getting a little too deep for them. And the question for us, too, is are we allowing Jesus into the deepest recesses of our lives? Or would we rather just have him satisfying our physical needs? I encourage you to go deeper in the Word of God. Deeper in your prayer life. And in every aspect of your walk of faith, go deeper. Surrender your life, your life completely to Jesus. Examine your heart. See where you are. What's the reason you're following Jesus? Is he just part of your life? Is he just your co-pilot in addition to your life? Or is he your entire life? Have you died to you? Have you taken up the cross and are you following after Jesus? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. That's how you know you're born again. When the world around you fades away, and Jesus shines brightly in your eyes. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening.